I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources. This is Scott Simpson. I'm co-hosting with Kate Kloon today. How are you, Kate? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy to be back. You know, uh, Boyd is on a completely unauthorized vacation. Here we are on one of the most intense news days, uh, the afternoon where he should be here in the mic. But I, I understand why he needed to take a vacation. Everybody gets that way. But, uh, you know, speaking of this 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 news story, you know, in the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, it has opened the door for local leaders now to make significant, potentially significant public policy change uh, for family policy, for child care. And so the question really is, what what is on the horizon for states as they now deal with this Supreme Court ruling and whatever changes they're going to be making downstream? And I think it's important to note as we have this conversation that the vast majority of abortions sought in Utah had to do with socioeconomic issues. And so just if you'll keep that in the back of your mind as we're having this conversation, that that, that was the reason most often cited as, as why women in Utah wanted or needed an abortion. It's mm, interesting. Um, and with that, we are going to welcome Patrick T. Brown. He's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and he has been doing pro-family policy work for just ages and ages. And he's been talking about this long before it was popular to talk about it. So welcome, Patrick. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Boyd sure picked an exciting day to be out of the office. No kidding. He did indeed. He did indeed. <laughs> Patrick, can you tell us um, what do you see as the impact of this uh, this ruling on families and the child care system across the USA right now or soon? Well, in some respects, it's not going to be an earth shattering, uh, you know, game changing event because in a lot of states that are going to choose to act on abortion uh, laws, uh, it, probably Utah, it, we saw Missouri already today, and a couple other states as well. Uh, those states have already seen a decline in the number of abortion providers, and so for a lot of communities, um, it's, it's not going to be that drastically different than the status quo. Obviously, there will be uh, some; you know, it will vary from state to state, but I think. It, what it really does is open the door to more political conversations around what public policy can do to support families. And I think we're seeing in states uh, across the political spectrum, but especially in, in states that are led by Republicans, a new willingness to talk about family policy and make it easier for expecting moms and new parents to balance all the responsibilities they have and to make abortion not only illegal, but really unthinkable. So. If you could, Patrick, elaborate on what kind of policies you think would help parents and families in the years after birth, I think that would be helpful for our listeners. And from both sides of the aisle, both yeah. li- liberal and conservative, what do you think you'll see? Yeah, oh, that's that's a long that's a long question, but I'll try to do my best. I think it makes sense to to divide it up into into uh, sort of the short term problem uh, or the short term concentration of, of what women need when they're pregnant and giving birth and and, there, and, and thereafter. I think stuff like uh, the with the WIC program, which provides uh, assistance for food for women, infants, and children, has seen um, uh, some bipartisan interest in, in expanding eligibility and streamlining that sort of thing. Uh, certainly, uh, Medicaid coverage for, for new moms. Uh, we're seeing states like South Carolina and Tennessee opt into expanding 
Medicaid coverage for up to a year after birth. And so, you, again, these are not you know deep blue states by any means, but they're recognizing that the shifting politics around abortion are, are calling for a new policy response that really tackles the, the sort of specific needs of, of pregnant moms and new moms. On the more longer term horizon, I think that that sort of falls under the heading of making family life more affordable and more achievable. And some states have passed state level child tax credits. We already have a federal child tax credit. Um, I talked with Boyd a couple weeks back about Senator Romney's plan to reform the, the child tax credit to make it reach more families and make it more generous. But about 10 states have already uh, introduced their own child tax benefit. And other states are taking action on other aspects of family life, too, such as expanding eligibility for child care subsidies and, and making that market more affordable, too. So I think in some respects, the Roe decision sort of froze some of the discussions around family policy, because every time you talk about uh, families, um, both right and left would sort of retreat to their corners on abortion. When Now that it's returned to the states, I think there's a lot of opportunities for some strange bedfellows coalitions around a broader social, social safety net for families, recognizing that now moms who might have been in some you know, unfortunate circumstances are going to need the support um, from the state and from nonprofit and, and religious groups as well. Patrick, you've, we've seen uh, there's plenty of coverage today of both sort of the lamentation of the ruling as well as celebration. And we obviously here in Utah, a conservative state with, uh, you know, conservative majorities in both chambers of our legislature. You've written about how uh, those that are um, politicians, those that are seeking office, um, have to be more than just anti-abortion in this debate. Can you speak to that? Right. I think it's very easy for, especially uh, in, a, in, a, in the world before 10 o'clock this morning when, when Roe was the law of the land, it was easy for Republican politicians especially to just sort of toss off one-liners about being pro-life or, or opposing Roe and, and not really having to carry through what that logic means. And I think um, a lot of uh, folks on, on my side of the aisle uh, have increasingly been realizing that, that a world in which states now have this new authority to, um, you know, or this new ability, I should say, to um, protect unborn children in the womb, uh, as, as conservatives believe, um, that also comes with an intended responsibility, and that's to make sure that moms get the resources they need to have a healthy pregnancy, to uh, welcome that child and to provide for them. And, and as you mentioned in the opening, uh, you know, one of the biggest drivers, uh, you know, about a third of abortions or so uh, are driven by economic factors. And so I think conservatives who have talked a, a big game about being pro-life are now realizing that once the, now, now the door is open for, for more restrictions on abortions, that also requires more action from, as I said, not, not just government. It, it can capacitate um, civil society as well, but, but the whole of society to make sure moms are getting the resources that they need. We've talked a little bit about the state level. Are there any proposals on the table at the federal level that you've heard of that could make a positive difference? Well, I'm a big fan of the of the Family Security Act that Senator Romney introduced. And I think what's especially noticeable, noticeable about that, uh, he in- introduced a rebranded version of his proposal a couple weeks ago. And this time he had endorsements from Democrats for Life, from the Susan B. Anthony list, from a whole host of pro-life organizations that usually – don't step into economic issues because they, they, they're focused mostly on, on abortion, but they, they realize that they're getting more resources to parents and, uh, as the Romney bill would do, getting them to uh, pregnant moms as well, four months before childbirth and, and, and thereon after, is a huge step in making sure parents have the resources they need to welcome that kid. Now, obviously, the child tax credit is, is I think, a really important tool, but it can't be the end 
point of a family policy agenda. We need to talk about making childcare more affordable for families. Certainly the cost of housing, cost of health care, some of these other big ticket items that can really weigh on families' quality of life uh, also need to be addressed through a sort of pro-family lens. And I think you're going to see more policies coming down the road that, that tackle that. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today and shedding some light on this. This is a a topic that I hope our legislature takes up uh, with some seriousness this next legislative session. Patrick is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and we're we're grateful for his expertise. Uh, Coming up, we'll be talking about single-issue voters and whether or not Dobbs will change votes in the end. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.